The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab number 408 for Sunday, July 15th, 2012. Good readings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in some questions. We provide some answers. You provide some tips. We provide some tips. We sometimes do a little thing called cool stuff found. And together we all try to learn a little something new here in hot, balmy and pleasant Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton here in triple Connecticut. John F. Braun. How you doing? Mr. Braun. Well, it's not balmy. I, I got my, uh, it, it's a tiny little AC. I don't know why you, Make it sound like it's some sort of, <laughs> you know, something that's the size of a house or something. Well, the dynamic compression makes it sound big. That's, you know. Yeah. That's how it goes. Can you, can you tell I'm in a new chair? Well, I can tell only because during pre-show, well, two things happened during pre-show. <laughs> uh, number one, you told me you were in a new chair. But number two, and most importantly, I never heard the squeak. So that was interesting. Yeah, so I got to toss that thing. So I went from that to the uncomfy chair, which I didn't like the uncomfy chair. It was basically just you know, your oh. basic metal metal chair. Right. But yeah, this is the one with, you know, hydraulic hoosie wetsits and uh, Oh, I've got the hoosie wetsits. That's great. <laughs> That's excellent. Any any special kind of chair or was it just like, you know, Office Depot special kind of thing? Uh, Office Max. Office yeah. Max, right. A, ma- a manager chair, though. You know, so it's oh. got the up and down and it leans back and you can like, either uh, lock or allow the, the full lean back. Well, I guess so. that makes you in charge then. <laughs> I'm the only one here, but okay. Well, well I'm here. <laughs> but yeah. It was so aggravating the other chair. And you know, the thing is, I don't think it was something that even, and, and you know, in the uh, book of engineering, there are two ways to solve problems. If something makes noise, you use WD 40. And if, if uh, something's broken, you use duct tape. I think those are basically will solve 99% of problems. Hot but, um, soapy water is good for any computer problems, John. <laughs> but I think in this case, my old chair, it wasn't, I, I don't know what, I, I think it was the wood actually that was squeaking. It, it was just some wood that was, was either too dry or too, but yeah. no, I, I mean, I tried WD-40 everywhere and it didn't make it not squeak. Well, you know, that's how it goes. Uh, let's see. Taking a look at our agenda here. We should go to Andrew and we'll dive right in here. Our show is sponsored by Smile and by Apollon. We'll talk about those later. But uh, but right now, let's talk about Andrew because Andrew had a good question. And, and I mean that. Andrew writes, my fiance just joined the club of Mac owners lured over from the dark side by the new Retina Display MacBook. On the Windows side, she's a big fan of what they call the delete key, which deletes the character after the cursor as opposed to before it. I know that we call that the forward delete key. I think that's what the windows people call it too, but maybe they've got delete and backspace. There you go. The Mac keyboard. Some of them have that. Anyway, he says, I know that you can get this functionality on the Mac keyboard by pressing function delete, but she also likes using it with the advanced keystroke that deletes the entire word. Unfortunately, function option delete has no additional effect. Please tell me there is a keystroke to delete the whole next word. She uses this as exhibit one, why Macs are inferior. All right. Well, let's see if we can help you and your fiance out here, Andrew. So 
definitely there are different ways of doing things um, on the Mac and Windows. And so there's going to need to be a little bit of a mind shift on this one. Uh, And perhaps you'll you'll find that you like the way Windows does it better. But we're going to help approximate this functionality for you. So uh, if you want to delete the word in front of your cursor, you do it by holding down shift option and then right arrow that will select the word to the right and then you press delete so it is a two-step process but shift option and right arrow will select the the word that you're in or the the next word after your cursor uh without the shift key you would if you just uh hold option right arrow it jumps you from word to word it jumps the cursor from word to word which can also be handy when editing text files right Uh, shift and the down arrow will highlight the rest of the line shift option and down arrow highlights to the end of the paragraph. So again, uh, holding down shift and hitting the down arrow highlights just the rest of the line that you're on shift with option and the down arrow highlights the whole paragraph. Uh, I'm sure there are more and maybe, maybe John, you've, uh, you found one or more, maybe perhaps more. All right. I'm going to tell you about the Moors. So I got not one, but two, because sometimes here we like to learn at least three things. That's right. (laughs) So two things that I found. So number one here, uh, there's an article that every now and then I'll look for and we'll link to it, but it's called Mac OS 10 keyboard shortcuts. And it's a Apple support article. And it actually did show, um, I think some of the ones that you mentioned there, Dave, you know, like deleting a word and stuff like that. So that, that I think is, a place to look every now and then. I think it's HT1343. Probably paste that in our little room here. So that's one place to look if you're wondering about these obscure little things because they're not necessarily uh, obvious or, well, they never are. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the point. Though sometimes I've stumbled across them just by accident and then wondering what I did. And then I eventually find the support article that tells me, oh, you hit, you know, these three keys and that. That's why this happened. Oh. Uh, the other one that I would suggest, and I, I think it, it, it's somewhat meant for this, is um, key remap for MacBook. And I don't think it's just MacBook, but it is a keyboard remapper that, that I think one of the things that it does, if you'd like it to, would be to give you uh, the keyboard equivalent of things that you may miss from the Windows side. I think it's one of the many things that it does. So I don't know if not one, but two suggestions for where you may want to look for Cool. A solution. Cool. Awesome. All right. Sean writes with yet another excellent question. I have a time capsule on my home network with time machine running daily. I have a Mac mini server running Mac OS 10 lion latest version. Since lion is a web boot. Am I safe not to have a clone of my hard drive handy? I was always assuming that I was safe because lion is a web bootable OS. Is it true that I should be just fine with just time capsule or should I have a plan B? Okay. So this is again, a really excellent topic. Uh, I'm glad you asked Sean, because uh, if, if time and, and potentially headache are not issues for you, then in theory, you are fine. No, 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 really, because this is important. Backups are about more than just saving your data in, in, in my opinion. Um, but everybody has to decide for themselves what they're willing to sacrifice and, and, and all of that. So um, if you don't have a clone, what's going to happen if you lose your, your, um, your hard drive is you're going to have to go and get another hard drive and put that in. 
And then, yes, assuming you have Internet access and time, uh, you can launch into, um, you know, a, a recovery partition. Although if your hard drive dies, you don't necessarily have that. But you can get the App Store and you can install Lion from over the Internet. But it takes time and it's going to be a little bit of a headache. And then once you've gotten it installed, so let's, I mean, remember, there's about four gigs that you're going to download during this install process. So however long your internet connection is going to take you to download four gigs, probably figure at least an hour to, to install Lion realistically. And then you've got the, the process, and this is going to be many hours or, or potentially, you know, a day of copying everything back from your, your time capsule uh, to restore your system. But yes, you could get back up and running without having a clone. The biggest benefit of a clone is its immediacy. If you if your hard drive dies at noon with your solution without a clone, you know, you're probably back up and running at the earliest, maybe three in the afternoon, but it could even be the next morning, right? With a clone, you could be up and running. If your hard drive dies at noon, you could be up and running by say noon oh five. Well, figure noon thirty, because you're gonna waste twenty five minutes. Uh, we all are uh, trying desperately to to convince ourselves that our hard drive isn't dead. But once you've accepted that the drive <laughs> is dead, right? I mean, I, I would do that. You know, it's like, no, there's no way. You know, th- let me try this and let me do this. And so this you, is a multi-step program in the first phase. That's is acceptance. Right. Yes. So the, <laughs> however long acceptance takes you, right? Once you've gotten to acceptance, you're five minutes away or how it really, however long it takes you to just boot from your clone. That's how far away you are from being back up and running. So, um, so that's, that's the big benefit of the clone is it's right there. You don't need internet access. And most importantly, you don't need time. So, you know, cloning every day is something I highly recommend because that way you have at worst something from, you know, 24 hours ago, um, not going to be potentially not going to be exactly what you want, but if you use some cloud backup service like Dropbox or SugarSync or, you know, roll your own cloud kind of thing uh, where you've got your active documents stored on something that's constantly saving them up to the cloud. Well, then you may come back up from your clone and it may not look like anything has changed from five minutes ago because, you know, Dropbox will pull down the things that are new to that clone uh, that you've created in the interim. So, so that's, that's the thing I always try to impress on people is that the clone is about it really is the first, the best way to recover from disaster is going to a clone. That that's, that's my opinion. You know, time capsules, time machines, great, right. For, for iterative backups and, and you've got, you know, various different things going on there. Awesome. But, um, but for true disaster recovery, clone is the way to go. I'm impressed that you're impressing that upon us. Outstanding. <laughs> What do I have to add, you may ask? John, what do you have to add? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you. So one thing that Sean is doing that I think is very interesting, Dave, and I don't think I've dabbled this with this in a while because I have a limited number of machines, but it says he's in a netboot environment, which is kind of cool. Well, no, no. He's, he's saying that Lion can boot from the web, and, and I think he's confusing it, his terminology. <laughs> ah. He's confusing boot with install. You can't boot Lion over the web, uh, but you can install it over the web. Yeah. So I, I, think, I think that's... They don't support NetBoot? That's not On what he's server. saying. That's not what he's saying. I, I, no, no. Uh, what I'm saying is he's talking about 
net booting. And I just wanted to touch on that as something no, that no, 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 no. He's, he's again, read the question. He's, he, we, we could, we can talk about net boot. That's fine. We, Mac OS X had that for a while. That's not what his question is. His question is about reinstalling over the, over the web. He's just using terminology that might be throwing. All right. Out. I'm sorry. He said, yeah. since lion is a web boot. All right. right. That, that was, that was what I was picking out of there or something. And I think it's a discussion about. Yeah. Well, it's, no, I'm, it, it's something that I want to talk about. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Well, no, have you done? Because I, I read that not web boot, but net boot. That, right. That's but, something that you can still do. Yeah, you can, you can net boot. Right. But, and All right. I'm sorry. I was just suggesting something that, that I hadn't seen people talk about mentioned in the email. I thought it'd be something to discuss because I have, I, I don't know if you've done net booting recently or at all. Some, some. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. No, I just, uh, I just thought it'd be something to touch on. I haven't, and I, I, I think what, what, what I was thinking is that netbooting is always an interesting fallback, um, and that as long as you have a server on the network that you can boot from, and uh, again, I haven't tried this in a while. I mean, we've seen demos of it where it's, it's really cool when it works. Yeah, I, I wouldn't rely on it for your home machine, though. I, I, I think it's... I, it, I, I haven't I honestly haven't used it since Lion came out. So perhaps it, it's, you know, it, perhaps it works great. Uh, but uh, but, you know, it's I mean, it's slow. You're you're you know, you're you're booting your machine across the Web and it gets it gets crazy. So somebody in the in the chat room says that the genes you gene genes, the geniuses use Netboot. And again, I want to impress that Netboot is not the same as Web install. Right. So reinstalling the operating right. system. Right. Well, it, you know, it, we've got we've got conflicting terminology from our from our listener question here. And actually, frankly, it's probably not entirely clear which which one he was referring to. There is no web boot of Lion. You can't boot Lion over the Internet, uh, but you can boot it from a server that's on your local network. And that's called net boot. Um, and the genius bar does that all the time to troubleshoot a machine because, you know, then we, you don't have to worry about your. Uh, your hard drive having some some problem that's actually a really handy handy thing to do I, yeah it could work in a pinch but again it, it let's let's assume now let's answer the question the other way right is he talking about using netboot to to bring his machine back well that saves you the the process of reinstalling lion but you still now have to pull all your data over from your time capsule and that is a lengthy process you know usually several hours so uh so you know I would still keep the clone, but, but oh, net, no doubt net boot saves you from having to reinstall lion. So there is that. Mm-hmm. Oh no, I have at least one, if not two bootable. So, so for the MacBook, I actually have an express card SSD, which is a great, you know, because it's just big enough for the most part, these express card ones where we're having a bootable copy of the OS is perfect for that. And then I have, I think also, a. uh, Firewire, which I, I think would boot on either of my machines, but a Firewire uh, 400 or yeah. 800. Nope, 800. 800 drive that has Mac OS on it as well. So, yeah, because you don't want to be without something that'll boot or even a thumb drive. Yeah, thumb drive could. Yeah, 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 definitely. I keep a Lion installer on a thumb drive, as we've talked about, and that's a handy thing. <laughs> All right. Our first sponsor for this show is Smile Software with text expander now version four so uh this brings a couple of new things and some very cool things uh and you can actually check all this out at smilesoftware.com 
But uh, one of the things that's new with Text Expander 4 is that it adds these um, snippet like um, I'm, I'm, and I'm pulling up the thing so that I have the right uh, the right terminology because I don't want to screw this up here. Uh, so the the idea behind Text Expander is that you have snippets of text that you type over and over and over again. And instead of typing this, and it could be a short little thing like your signature, or it could even be paragraphs of text that, you know, if you get emails, especially for support folks, right, where you've got people writing to you saying, you know, I need to know how to do this. If it's something that's asked often enough, you just copy your response once, save it into Text Expander, and then assign it to a snippet. So, you you know, somebody can write you an email and say, how do I create, how do I create a Lion, uh, you know, uh, boot, you know, USB boot drive. And you, if you've written the instructions once, copy them into your uh, text expander snippet. And then you say, hey, you know, Ron, thanks for asking. Here's the instructions. And then you do, you type like maybe, uh, you know, comma USB boot, because that's what you've assigned to your Lion uh, boot instructions or uh, Lion USB recovery creation instructions. And then boom, it just pastes them all right in. You don't have to worry about digging it up out of, you know, some sticky somewhere or finding the last email that you sent to somebody with that same thing and copying and pasting, you just put it in text expander and you're good to go. Well, now text expander has fill-ins and they've even got like uh, conditionals. So instead of it pasting the same thing to everyone, you could have little spots where you want to put in different bits of data, depending on who you're sending it to. And so you can create this and it's really easy to create in there inside their snippets. And, uh, and so you can go through and you can have it add little bits of data and prompt you for these uh, decisions that you're going to make about what you're going to put there and how it's going to work. And so you can really build customized responses that all happen in a very automated way. And that's new in Text Expander 4. You can check this out, smilesoftware.com slash text expander. And, uh, and they've even now got a video tutorial up. It's four minutes long. Uh, David Sparks of the uh, Mac Power Users podcast did it for him. And it's great. It, it will sell you on this. In fact, I, I think if Mr. Braun were to watch this video, he too would become a text expander user. So I, uh, <laughs> I put that, I put that to you, my friend. So again, it's a text expander from smile software. You can download a free trial at their website and, uh, and then it's 35 bucks when you're, uh, when you're ready to buy and they have a 90 day money back guarantee. So you can't go wrong. Smile software, text expander. It's good stuff. Yeah, and to take four minutes and watch the video, John. Not, not right now, please. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on to VNC talk with Leon. Leon asks, "I use Mocha VNC Lite, and here is my question: Based on the podcast where you talked about VNC, I would like to know if I can set up a Mac Mini server with two accounts." And use just an iPad for most of the stuff I do. And then VNC to the Mac Mini shared by two people and get some things done that I cannot do with iOS. The second user on the Mac Mini is a very light non-power user switching from Windows XP. Uh, his basic users are web browsing, iTunes music, and mail. In essence, I want to try and make my iPad my primary computing device and interface using VNC to get stuff done on the Mac Mini that requires tools I don't have on the iPad. Okay. So I should uh, make it clear. VNC is a protocol supported natively by Mac OS 10 that allows uh, screen sharing 
with other devices. And the iPad uh, makes a great screen sharing client to your Mac. And with Lion, one of the cool things, and I know we have some issues with Lion, but one of the cool things that they added with Lion is if you VNC from your iPad or really another computer or whatever into a Lion machine that has two users logged in, one of them being you in the background uh, or just two user accounts set up, if a different user is logged in in the foreground, it will actually ask you now, do you want to log in and see what the foreground user is seeing? Or do you want to log into your account and have a separate screen going simultaneously with this person? The person sitting at the computer will see their screen. You will see yours. Resource utilization, RAM and CPU obviously is shared, but the screens are not at that point. So you really too, you can have two people using the same computer simultaneously and uh, and it can work quite nicely. you got to experiment with it. Obviously, you know, you're talking about using a device that doesn't have a mouse, uh, your iPad to control a device that is used to being controlled or built to be controlled with a mouse. So that part can be funky. But honestly, some of the VNC software out there is fantastic. Um, I've only used Mocha VNC Lite very briefly. Uh I tend to use a piece of software called ISSH, although we had someone suggest screens, uh, both of which are VNC clients and screens is actually pretty awesome. So, uh, so that's worth checking out too, uh, for, uh, for the iPad and the iPhone screens. So have you done any, uh, any screen sharing stuff with, I know you don't have an iPad, but with your iPhone. Yes. And I think I I used the same program that was mentioned, a uh, uh, small uh, was Mo- it Mocha VNC Lite is what he said. Do they make one for the iPhone? I think I they may. They do. I don't I don't have it in front of me. Yeah. But yeah, uh, it's a uh, yeah. As long as you get all the you know, especially if you can VPN in, which I think that was mentioned as part of this uh, discussion because VPNing and VNCing may go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. If you're not at your network, you can use. VPN to get in, um, but you can't use back to my Mac from an iOS device. So you'd have to set up a separate VPN server to do all that. But that's, you know, that's kind of how it goes. Yeah. And I even looked at, uh, I looked at the, uh, the entry here for Mocha VNC Lite and it specifically mentions lion support. So I guess with lion, they threw in that, you know, phone that you mentioned, which is that multiple users can connect to a, uh, lion machine that's doing, now, screen sharing or remote login or which do you, which well, do you check it, on the... Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So in order to turn this on, you thanks. have to go... Yep. So I was looking and I'm like, wait a second, which one? I, I haven't done this for a while. Okay, so you go into you know. system preferences, you go to sharing, and you can turn on uh, one of two things. Uh, it's either going to be screen sharing or remote management. Um, if you're... Remote management allows a little bit more to happen and works with Apple remote uh, remote desktop, I guess is what it's called. Right. Apple remote desktop. Yeah. Uh, But you can turn on screen sharing either way, whichever one you've turned on remote management or screen sharing, you go in there and you go to computer settings. The third checkbox down in computer settings says VNC viewers may control screen with password. And you want to check that box and you want to type a password in there. And then that's the same password you're going to type on the other end. Now with lion, uh, you actually can log in as your user account. If the VNC client is built to do it and, and all the ones that we've mentioned, including the one that Leon mentioned, Mocha VNC Lite, uh, will work. 
So it's pretty cool. But that 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 is not on by default. So you've got to, you know, you got to do it yourself. Well, I'm glad I asked and I'm going to try it right now. Well, that sounds like a, like a great idea, John. <laughs> no, I mean, I hear lightning strikes outside and the, the and thunder. So, so why not just. Tempt yeah, me? it can be handy, though. I it I, I will say, I mean, I know I, I warned against controlling a you know a, a mac with an ipad and the whole lack of mouse thing no it, it it's not perfect but i have to say that you know screens and issh i honestly haven't used mocha vnc light to really speak to the experience with the, with that one but the other two are fantastic it's so smooth moving around it's almost like it it's reading my mind sometimes i'm dragging my finger because i want to see more of the screen you know because i don't see the whole screen at once i kind of am moving around other times I'm dragging my finger because I want to move the mouse cursor. And then sometimes I'm dragging my finger because I want to click and drag a window. And, and it is sort of like magic. I don't know how they're deciding when to do this, but most of the time it reads my mind correctly, which is cool. Yeah. It's way easier than, than I thought it would be. And I wind up using it quite a bit. Um, Kind of exactly for the reason that Leon said, you know, you, you, your iPad is in your hand and you don't have a laptop with you or you, you don't want to go get it. And so, yeah, it works. It's good. Anything else to add, my friend, before we move on to uh, one of the questions that came from the, the forums this week? Move on. All right. So Gene in the Mac Geek Gab forums writes, my keyboard and trackpad are not working in my MacBook Pro. Even some USB ports are also not working. I guess someone has removed the USB files from my system. Please help me solve this issue. I do not have the installation CDs with me to restore my MacBook Pro. Okay. So this is an interesting one. It could be a driver's issue. Uh, and the way to test against that uh, is to hold down the option key when you start up. Because that is basically just using the firmware in your Mac to display you a list of all of the drives that your Mac can boot from. And then you can use your mouse to choose one of those drives and boot from it. If there are no drivers that, for this that someone could have taken off the disk, this is all burned into the ROM of your Mac. So if you hold down the option key and nothing happens, chances are that you have a problem that goes beyond you just losing, you know, USB drivers out of your, uh, you know, system extensions folder. So test that if that works, um, at least then, you know, you don't have a hardware problem and you potentially you can fix it. Although you're going to need a CD of some sort, uh, to, to do this from, you could, depending on the vintage of your MacBook pro, if you can, if it's got firewire and you can target disc mode it, uh, you could copy the missing files over from someone else's machine by plugging that in, but that could get a little wacky. Um, but that that's, that is one way of doing it. Uh, the other would be to find an installation CD and perhaps the genius bar would be able to help you with that. Uh, but if it doesn't work there then you either have a hardware issue or you have something that looks very much like a hardware issue. And I have found especially with USB, John, that resetting the PRAM and or resetting the SMC uh, solves this. 
and and I've seen it with USB stuff specifically. So uh, you can go through. We'll, we'll resetting the SMC is different on each each Mac. So we'll we'll just point you to Apple's knowledge base article um, about exactly how to do that. But that can be a, a handy thing. Speaking of handy things, here's another one. So many Macs allow you to boot into something called Apple hardware test. Mm. And you'll see in our happy little chat room here, Dave, or not that chat room, but the, our chat room, you and I chat room. <laughs> anyways, you'll see the article there. So anyways, Apple has a article, Intel-based Macs using Apple hardware test and many Macs have it stored on the hard drive that's in the machine, which is what this tells you how to do. So start your machine and hold down hmm, D for diagnostics. There you go. But don't you need. Oh, I guess with Lion, you've got it built in. That's right. Yeah. 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 So you don't I wanted to point CD to this article. Anything. I don't think it applies to every Mac out there, but I think it applies to most recent ones is that they have a D mode where you hold down D and it goes into Apple hardware test. Yeah, that's right. Well, that so um, on Lion holding down D will just put you in Apple hardware test, I believe. Um, oh. Well, no, actually, you got to no Lion. You got to do command R, but there's no hardware test in Lion. Um, I think in order to run right. I don't have a Lion machine right in front of me that I'm able well, to I do. reboot. I'll let you know in a minute. Or OK, so. cool, because it, certainly if you have the. uh the uh, CD in there to to like the installation CD. If you hold down D, it will boot to the diagnostic partition on that CD. If you hold down C or just choose it as the boot disk, it will boot to the installation from that CD. Holding down R on your Lion machine without any extra disks in the drive will allow you to boot to the recovery partition. But um, but I don't know about diagnostics. That's a good question. Have you? Uh, it's an old machine. Uh, it, well, the knowledge base article it. you sent me to said some Macintosh computers that shipped with OS X Lion support the use of Apple hardware test over the Internet. These computers will start up to an Internet based version of the hardware test if the hard drive does not contain it. So, yeah, you could just try holding down D on a Lion machine and depending on I'm trying. The, the vintage of the machine that it may work. Um it's not entirely clear what uh, what that is. So, well, at least on my machine, it didn't didn't do what I thought. Yeah, I'll have to get the CD. But I, I do remember. I th- I think that the prior OS that this came, well, one of the prior OSs this came with, when you booted the machine and you held down D, it did go into Apple hardware test. Which why am I talking about that? Because that's another way to see if your keyboard's working, right? So kind of roundabout, but hey, boot an Apple hardware test and if your keys are working. They should in that. I, I, I found the whole suggestion that somebody had removed the drivers kind of unusual, Dave. Say that again. I, I found uh, it, it, it seemed there was a suggestion in the email about, you know, the keyboard that, that some USB drivers had been removed because there was talk about the, the you know, yeah. all the all things on the USB bus. Right. I, I just thought that was an unusual uh, path to go down to try to diagnose the problem like someone intentionally removed the usb drivers it, if anything i'd say you know a hardware issue because I, as right. i've seen with my you know usb uh <laughs> or my keyboard incident on my macbook pro i mean everything 
is connected by USB, at least on older machines, the keyboard, the trackpad. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think, I think it's either a SMC issue or just a hardware issue. I, I don't think it's drivers missing. Cause I think you'd still get some function out of these things. Um, and the fact that he says that other USB devices don't work. Well, I definitely go keyboard. for that because when yeah. I saw my machine, I mean, when the keyboard was gone, then the trackpad was gone and like everything. Yeah. Including any peripherals. So right. yeah, the, when the USB got bus. <laughs> Now, yes, were you, was yours one of those scenarios where you were able to fix it by, by resetting the SMC or did you need the new motherboard? In my case, what would sometimes work? So sometimes the keyboard would drop out. I had a external USB keyboard and that worked. Oh, that's interesting. So it was so a hardware, case, hardware issue with the keyboard, not, yes. not the USB. Okay. And because I think it and the trackpad... Um, I think share or close to each other as far as being on the USB bus. If I plugged in a new keyboard, that would take over, but sometimes the trackpad would still freak out. So that another debugging tip. If you have just portables, try to get any other keyboard as a temporary backup. That's a great In idea. my case. Yeah. I trashed it. You know, well, well, I mean, I'm sorry. There, there was a terrible accident. Hmm. My portables keyboard didn't work anymore, but I still had at least one USB plug-in keyboard. So I'm glad I did. I'm glad I hoard these things. You know how some people, you know, like significant others say, oh, you'll never need that again. Well, it was like, ha, (laughs) I win because I did need it again. (sighs) Craziness. Or men, whatever. Craziness. Tell us your stories of when you did save something forever and it did come in handy, please. I'd, I'd love to hear these stories. <laughs> Have you ever had a win with 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 your wife as far as you, you kept something and it did come in handy at like, you know, decades in the future? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, yeah, it, definitely, because I keep like old switches and stuff around and then it sometimes it's like hey this will work or or like the um the 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 the, the great example is it was night it was 1998 when i got my um i can't even think of the brand of it my the my my flight stick or my my yoke and my my rudder pedals for my windows machine that i was playing microsoft flight simulator on right um and so these are game port devices, but I saved them for some crazy reason. And then as longtime listeners of the show will know, I found this device that converts game port to USB. I had to order it from some Taiwanese website and it took like three weeks to get here. But, um, but it, but it works. And so I'm still to this day with lion, which really is sort of crazy. Uh, still using that same, um, the same controller and the same flight stick and you know, all of that stuff. And it mostly works fine. It's all, you know, it's a little funny, but, um, but you know, Hey, it works. So yeah. So I had a win there, but yeah, I, I mean, I've had some, we, I save a lot of stuff, but I also, I throw a lot of stuff away. And then last year at, um, the, the Seacoast Mac users group here did a, a swap meet thing. And I brought a ton of stuff down to that, uh, mm-hmm. that summer. And I probably got rid of, you know, more than 50% of the stuff that I, you know, had sort of saved for a really long time. I mean, I've got this case of like, you know, old scuzzy hard drives and stuff. It's crazy. We really don't need these anymore. I'm going <laughs> to throw them away. 
All right. Uh, let's see what Bill has to say. Let's see if this is going to work. You know, I, um, I'm a little frustrated because mobile me went away as, as we all know. And with that went away, my, uh, Yojimbo, my ability to sync Yojimbo using mobile me because mobile me is not there anymore. And of course the iCloud enabled version of Yojimbo that, uh, we were all promised was going to ship by the end of June, which was the mobile me sunset, uh, did not ship. And so now I'm stuck with copying things around uh, manually from using Dropbox and all this other crazy stuff. I'm not sure what's going on uh, with mobile me or uh, with iCloud syncing and, and Yojimbo. I know that uh, that the folks at Barebones uh, say they've been working on it for a long time. I, I, I assume that that is true at some level, but it uh, they, they certainly uh, at least as far as the communication about it, that has increased substantially in the last couple of weeks because we've hit this sunset. So I have to think that they're working on it in earnest. Now I kind of wish they had worked on it in earnest in January, um, you know, before all this happened. But anyway, here we are. Yojimbo users waiting and waiting and waiting. And here's Bill. Hey there, John, Dave, and the sometimes present pilot Pete. This is Bill from Menlo Park. I have a question for you about lion and mountain lion. Basically, how much longer do you think I can avoid having to deal with the pain of going from 10.6, which I like, Snow Leopard works perfectly fine for me, to Lion, which all I hear about is the funky interface, the fact that it'll no longer play any of my PowerPC programs, and other such pain. Every so often, Apple does this to me. They go past what I'm interested in dealing with, and I fall behind a couple of years. Now, I know Mountain Lion's due out sometime later in 2012. Uh, how much longer do you think they'll let, keep uh, Snow Leopard up to date? That's basically it. Uh, I just don't have the time to go through and find all my files that only open on old apps and convert them and do that. You know, I need like a period of unemployment, which is not something I wish upon myself before I can take that time. That's about it, guys. Love the show. Been listening to you since uh, your first year. And uh, keep it up. Bye. Well, thanks for the uh, audibly enhanced comment there, Bill. Appreciate that. So this isn't this is yet another curious little thing to explore, John, right? Because how long can you keep running Snow Leopard? Well, really, you know, as long as the hardware that runs it, which is your current Mac or crop of Macs, uh, <clears throat> still works and you don't need any new software that requires Lion or Mountain Lion, then you're fine. Uh, you can keep running it as long as you want. Realistically, though, I would say you're getting probably to the end. If you want to stay up to date with stuff, you're getting to the end of where Snow Leopard is going to be uh, fun or or not a, a, a hindrance to run. Um, that, that's 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 my feeling on it. John, what do you what do you think on this one? I violently disagree. Awesome. I love that. <laughs> well, no, what I got. So on the one hand, you know, Bill's got his setup. You know, he's doing the enhanced audio thing. He's, you know, he can, he can 
send us questions. So obviously his computer setup is meeting his needs. So I, I think you hinted at this state, but do you really need to upgrade? Well, no, you know, but, but if you, you do, if you want, you know, if you start using iOS devices, right. And you want to use iCloud and, and you know, iCloud is funky because you don't get to control much of it. And it's a big mystery and all of that good stuff. But, uh, but if you have stuff on your iOS devices that you want to use iCloud to sync back and forth right. with your Mac, you need Lion. And, and then, of course, you need the App Store and sandboxing and all that other happy haha. But, you know, that the <laughs> Lion, Lion or Mountain Lion is, you know, Lion 10.7 right. is the minimum there. So there's there's some stuff. So because yeah. Apple chose to disable a service that they used to provide Mm-mm. in Mm-mm. OS's prior to Lion on the Mac. Right. 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 You're so talking you're about mobile me. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah. okay. Outside of that. So if you're not using the machine to sync to the cloud and all the apps that you want for word processing or, you know, tweeting or email or stuff like that, then, Hey, stick with it. I mean, the, the, the first thing you're going to run into, in my opinion, is probably a failing hard drive. <laughs> Yeah, right? yeah. I mean, what's the first thing that's going to go? If if all if if you just accept the fact that okay, what's on this machine is what I'm going to use, other than security updates and very minor updates, then I'm thinking outside of that, assuming you don't care what's happening in the world as far as iCloud and stuff like that, how far could you get along? And I would say the first thing that would probably again, as long as you don't change anything else, the first thing that would go is probably you know in a few years the hard drive. So, but that's easily replaced. Uh, yeah, so I guess I'm just, you know, philosophical. How how long should you go on? I mean, like right now, I'm, I'm because they're coming out with the next greatest thing, Dave. Yeah. I, I feel like I may want to upgrade my mini, even though, you know, for, for, for a while it was a service to our listeners to be able to talk about Snow Leopard and Lion. I, I wonder if that time has passed or if I just get another machine and then right. <laughs> right. let this keep running Snow Leopard for legacy purposes. And maybe, maybe I'll put a another mini on top of it you know i could do that you could yeah. yeah i you know i had of course my podcast machine ran snow leopard up until uh, a couple of weeks ago because i had to move it um because i was hoping that frankly it was because of yojimbo i wanted to be able to sync with with icloud um of course you know like we'll leave that alone but uh it, you know it's um well my wife put it best i at the time i upgraded it to i to to snow leopard. I was also keeping uh mobile me for our calendar syncing because my wife needed to stay on snow leopard because she needed to run quicken for a while. Obviously that's fixed now. Uh, so I upgraded all these machines to lion and, and my wife recently asked me, how do I get lion off of all of my machines? Uh, and, <laughs> and, and it's because it's slow and it's weird. And that actually brings me to a tip uh, this is a you never knew how much you were going to get out of this show. If you are one of those people that deals with the lion spinning beach ball more often than you ever wished uh, you possibly could, there is often a fix for this. And, you know, I kind of assumed that by this point, everybody knew this, but uh, I was talking with Corey Cooper, uh, of, formerly of the Mac OSG podcast, and then he was an Apple genius for a while, and now he's moving on to kind of the next phase of, of, of things and, and maybe coming back with the Mac OSG podcast, which would be great. But, uh, but I mentioned this, this tip to him and he didn't know it. So I will share it again here. 
if your Mac that's running Lion gets stuck in this spinning beach ball mode and it doesn't appear to be happening for any main reason, it's just stuck, hit the volume up or volume down key on your keyboard and watch your machine get magically unstuck. It's, I don't, I mean, we've talked about, you know, why it might, it's some interrupt thing that, you know, that's obviously happening there and this gets it out of that loop, but, uh, but it totally works and it works all the time. And the only time it's really frustrating is um, it seems to happen a lot at the login screen. And if I'm using screen sharing to control, you know, a machine that's like that, I can't unstick it from remote because there's no way to press the volume up or down key on the, on the keyboard and, and make that happen without, you know, like throwing rocks or something and having really good aim or asking one of the cats to walk across the keyboard. Maybe I need to train them with a sound. Yes. Yes. I have tried using going into the terminal and using the say command. You ever use that command? You can just type say, yeah, you type say, and I don't know if this will come out the computer speakers, but, um, but let me see if it works here. So yeah, you go to the terminal and you type say, and then in quotes, um, it'll say whatever you asked it to say. Now, I don't think you heard it. So, and I don't have an easy way of capturing that audio, but it'll say, no, no, I just tried it on my type. Yeah. And, uh, so, so it works and it, it works really, really well. Um, so I've tried that thinking that, by, you know, by going to the terminal on the remote machine and, and having it play some audio, I thought maybe that would be enough to kind of break it out of this thing. Nope. Didn't work. Nope. So it's just, it's something with pressing the button on the keyboard and doing that, that, that causes this interrupt, interrupt loop. But, the, but there you go. That's the, that's the simple tip is if your machine gets stuck in that lion, uh, try adjusting the volume. Oftentimes it will fix it. It doesn't mean that it'll fix it forever. And, and really, if we narrow it down further, everyone that I've experienced that has had this problem says that it is a core two duo machine that was upgraded from snow leopard. And yes, I totally didn't follow my own advice. I upgraded these machines directly, <laughs> to, directly to 1074 and, uh, and they do experience this. So I'm going to see if upgrading to mountain lion, I'm going to, you know, I'm, I, we got to do this here so we know how to help our, our users because frankly, not using the upgrade process which is exactly what we recommend. And I still recommend um, not using it is what I recommend to be clear. Uh, but not using it is a total Royal pain because there is no way to do it without creating your own boot disc and going through all these gyrations. You know, you go to the app store, you say install and boom, it wants to install and it, it should work by golly. But should. Yeah. <laughs> Being the operative word software man software man you can never get it perfect <clears throat> yeah yeah it's it is what it is the possibilities grow exponentially usually at a power of two so there's no way you can test for every possible outcome with software or hardware so just cross your fingers or have lots of backups <laughs> Yeah. So Bill, you probably are at a point where, you know, it's time to, to move on. So here's, but, but you need to be able to it during your transition, you need to be able to boot to snow leopard. Um, unfortunately, unless you like me 
chose not to upgrade from VMware Fusion 4.1, and I don't mean 4.1.1, I mean 4.1 and leave it there, uh, that will boot Snow Leopard in a virtualized environment. It's not supposed to, and they fixed it. Um, I, but I, I still keep a copy of it because it's a, a great way for me to run Snow Leopard. Unfortunately, without that, the only other way to run it is to run it from a, a separate disk, which you can do. You know, you, you create a separate disk, and that way you, you keep yourself safe from, from uh, you know, from losing access to anything that requires an, an app. You know, if you have some document that was created in an app that's only available under Rosetta, then obviously you need to be able to boot Snow Leopard. But I don't think Apple's going to go back and rewrite their licensing deal for their licensing guidelines. Uh, EULA, the end user license agreement for Snow Leopard. They're not going to rewrite it. Anyway, those are the things that I see on my computer and I click a button that says, OK, that's right. That's isn't that what that's right. What, 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 what are they? <laughs> uh, I have another tip to share, but I, I do want to talk about our second sponsor, which is Apollon. And they have this great app called Pimp Your Screen or Pimp My Screen. Uh, let me make sure I get that name right because I'm pulling it up. It's called Pimp Your Screen. It shows up as Pimp Screen on my on my iPhone. And that's what I'm looking at here. But it is called Pimp Your Screen. It's 99 cents in the App Store. And what it is, it's, it's a collection of um, screens, images, if you will, that will sit behind your, it'll be like wallpapers. But what's cool about them is they're built to have shelves. Uh, they're, they're, it's just graphics, of course. Uh, but it really helps um, a customize the look of your iPhone, but also it can actually help make things a whole lot clearer depending on what you choose. You could choose some crazy background with shelves and, uh, and it's not going to look clearer, but it's going to look personalized for you. Or you can choose a very kind of simple background and it just puts these little shelves underneath each of your rows of apps and just makes, makes stuff look cleaner. It almost makes it look like it's jailbroken. Because, you know, there are some jailbroken tweaks that let you do that sort of thing. But this does not require it to be jailbroken. Uh, it's uh, it's just a 99 cent app in the app store and you pick your background, you set your background and then you're good to go. And you can there's there's tons and tons of them. And they're uh, they're adding to them all the time. And uh, and it's good stuff. So go ahead and check it out. It's 99 cents. It's a whole lot of fun. Uh, you can also do stuff. You can you can change uh, the way the the slider kind of looks because they've got a lock screen thing as well. Uh, really, really great stuff. So uh, go ahead and check it out. It's uh, in the App Store. We'll put a link, of course, in the show notes. But it's called Pimp Your Screen, and uh, I've been using it since we since we talked about it. I guess it was at WWDC it was the uh, the first time they advertised, and so that was when I first downloaded the app. And it, they've got some really nice stuff. And again, for 99 cents, it's a, it's a great way to customize your, customize your phone and, you know, not just use the, the stock background. So very, very fun. And we like that fun stuff. They also have a Mac version also in the Mac app store, and that's only two ninety nine, I believe. So you can check it out. Pimp your screen from Apollon, A-P-A-L-O-N. You can learn more about them at, of course, Apollon.com. All right, John. Oh, I, I promised a tip. And the tip is, uh, and I have to, 
give a hat tip to Chris Breen over at Macworld because reading an article of his led me down the path of, of understanding this. We've talked about this before, but uh, there is a there. I found a solution. So the problem is in well, Lion, because it's the only OS we have with the iCloud. But uh, if you have all of your contacts stored on iCloud uh, and you create distribution lists. So, so we're heading into territory that many people wouldn't uh, necessarily head into. But if you uh, if you have distribution lists, which can be really handy, I and I didn't notice this until last week, John, when I sent out the notification for Mac Geekab, which is a distribution list. It goes to John, Pete, and Michael Johnston. So everybody knows. And now, where again are you defining this distribution list? It, oh, yeah, very good question. In the address book app on your Mac. Okay. Okay. Right. So, so you address go, book app on the Mac. At on the least Mac. For now. So that's where you're starting. Yes. To. All right. So it pulls in addresses of whoever else is in your book, and then you give it a name. And well, okay. Yeah, so what you do is is you go to um, it's a weird interface, but you you click on at the top of the screen. There's like a little bookmark that that has two heads on it, and you click on that, and then you can you can define um, contact groups. Is really what uh, what what these are, except it also calls them distribution lists in in another spot. But uh, but I have a contact group called MGG Notify, and I just put you, Pete, and Michael in it. But for you. I have multiple email addresses in my address book record for you. And I want to send it to a certain one. You're, you know, John at Mac observer address. And what I used to be able to do was once I had this list selected in address book, I used to be able to go to the edit menu and there's an edit distribution list option. But as we've discussed, once you enable iCloud, that option is grayed out. And because it was grayed out, it defaulted back to the first email address I have on file for you, which is not the one you're used to getting these things from me at. And you told me so. I thought, well, darn. So, again, I found uh, a couple of articles, but it was this one by Chris Breen that headed me down this path. It, there's, it's a bug because that option will come alive if I create an address book group on my Mac. So uh, I can I can do it. Um, let me, let me get there. So I'm doing this the right way. So let's see, I go to file and we say new group and we set it on my Mac. And all we have to do is add someone to that group. And then voila, the edit menu lights up where it says edit distribution list. And I can, I can edit the ones that are on iCloud but only if I've uh, I've created an on my Mac distribution list. It's crazy. It's crazy how it works, but it works. So there you go. There's your tip. You like that, John? Madness. It's madness. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't know why it's that way. Um, if you can't create an on my Mac distribution list, the trick is, Go into address book, go to the address book menu, go to preferences and go to general. And where it says default account, change that temporarily to on my Mac. That will create the on my Mac group in your address book. Um, and then again, just click on that and create a, a distribution list. I don't even know that you have to put somebody out there. You just, you know, call it test or something. 
then you can go back to general and set it back to iCloud for your default account. But, uh, but now it's got that in there and now you can go and edit the distribution list and make sure it's got, uh, you know, the, the right one. And in fact, on this computer, I'm looking at it, John, and it had the wrong one for you again. Yay. iCloud. So happy. Apple finally got the cloud, right? You know what I mean, John? Being in the cloud. I'm being sarcastic <laughs> is what I am. Uh, yes, you are. Yeah. All right. So, uh, before we move on to, you know, we've got some follow-ups here from, from the last show that I want to make sure we get through. So, uh, so let's jump to that because yet another comment that makes me think that carbon copy cloner may be a better solution for me comes from Brad. Hey, John and Dave, <clears throat> Brad from West Michigan. Hey guys, not to beat a dead horse here, but, um, I know we've been talking a lot about backups, clones, using a carbon copy cloner uh, to do so, and drive encryption. But the one thing I haven't heard anybody mention, maybe I missed it, and I apologize if I did, but um, you can encrypt your backup right from within carbon copy cloner uh, through Disk Center. There's an option there to simply encrypt your backup. So what I did was when I made, uh, when I'm, when I made my clone of my drive, I just selected, you know, I told it to create a Lion recovery hard drive, a recovery partition, which it did. But I also told it to encrypt my drive, which it did. So now my backup is also encrypted. And what's cool is that um, if I boot from my clone drive, it reacts identically to the way a regular file vault drive would react in a Mac. It'll ask for your password right at uh, right at startup and. Uh, so it, it seems to work great. Um, I used to be a super duper fan, uh, 100%. But it seems like he's kind of gotten left in the dust by some features in Carbon Copy Cloner. And I just haven't seen any updates or anything that's showing that he's trying to keep up with the rest of them. So I'm a switcher to Carbon Copy Cloner. Thanks, guys. Love the show. Take it easy. We'll see ya. Thanks, Brad. Yeah, that disk center and carbon copy cloner, the more I got to dig more into this because clearly it is, you know, perhaps one of the highlight features of this software. And up until a month ago, I honestly didn't even I don't think either one of us knew it existed. Honestly, I found it as part of another question. And I'm like, oh, that that's kind of a cool part of this program that I've been using Uh, pretty much the initial dialogue, which is like copy this to that. Yeah, but I never. Yeah, I never came across it until one of our listeners said, hey, how do exactly do you do this recovery partition stuff? And it's like, oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's good stuff. So thanks, Brad. Thanks for that. Yeah, I got to uh, I got to dig into this. This might be, you know, I I am hesitant to move, not because I don't trust Carbon Copy Cloner. Clearly, you use it, John, and it works fine for you. We have many listeners that use it and uh, and and many of you swear by it. But my hesitation to move is I have a, I have a solution with super duper that ain't broke. And, you know, there's there's the old tech support saying, right, uh, it's either if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Or if it ain't broke, fix it till it is. And I'm worried about heading down the path of the latter. Um, not that not that again, not that I expect problems with carbon copy cloner, but changing anything requires me to 
you know, re I got to go through my trust process again, because that clone, like we were saying before, that's the most important backup you do. You need more than one backup, no single point of failure, but you want to make sure that clone is reliable for you. So, so that's my, you know, that's my only hesitation, John, but I know you're happy with it. Right. I mean, you know, I'm not crazy about, about on this particular point. Am I? It's reasonable. Look, I fixed it. I fixed it. It ain't broke. (laughs) That's the problem. I'm sorry. Here you go. All right. Everybody for, for LOLs there. I fixed it. Dot fail blog.org. Ah, well, we'll have to, uh, we'll have see to sometimes when you try to fix things, it doesn't make them better. It doesn't work. <laughs> Comic relief and all of that good stuff. Uh, all right. Um, Paul, and I apologize for my voice failing us tonight. I had two gigs yesterday and actually my voice sucked for both of those two. It was, I don't know, it must be something in the air, but anyway, uh, Paul from four Oh seven. Oh, where's Paul? It's a good, Oh, I have it selected already. He says, uh, I was just listening to episode four Oh seven and there was a listener who was inquiring about streaming video files over the internet for his home network. A great app for doing this is stream to me. You install a small server app on your home computer and it will serve music, photos and video from your home network to the client app for the Mac or iOS. It will play just about any video file format because it encodes on the fly. So this kind of solves that issue we were talking about, John. Uh, It supports variable bit rates and most importantly, allows for buffering. It will also integrate your iTunes and iPhoto libraries to allow for search and playlists and all of that good stuff. The Mac client is free and the iOS client is only three bucks in the app store, two ninety nine. He says another option is air video, which is very similar, but I haven't used it. So I can't speak to how well it works. So yeah, stream to me with the buffering and all of that good stuff. That seems to kind of hit every point that we were looking for in that last solution. So uh, I was thinking about more about that, you know, a, uh, an even better way to, to use Safari to do it and to use built in stuff would be to turn on web sharing on your Mac and share your videos folder on the web or on your, you know, on your local web. And then you could navigate your video library with Safari and play and it's going to buffer there and all that. But it seems like stream to me is probably a better, much better solution than, than heading down that particularly crazy path. So, yeah, yeah. We're just going to get a cable, man. Get a long enough cable. <laughs> I think hardware, well, uh, there's no arguing hardware is the best way to solve this problem as far as getting maximum throughput. That's right. Yeah, you could do gigabit Ethernet if uh, if the cable is, right. the, well, it has to be a short enough cable for that, though. Or you just need enough repeaters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a so, reasonable solution, John. So never, just never rule out a hardware. Roll them out the back of your car on the way, huh? <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, one last one from 407 comes from Phil. He says, uh, Jeff's second question in 407 was getting rid of the original photos in iPhoto. But see, I, I don't think they're there. So maybe actually, maybe uh, uh, he said, but but I'll, I'll read what he says, because I still am not sure about this. Did you check into that, John? I'm exploring what I found is that the the versioning does not appear to happen, at least in in my installation. So, okay. 
Okay, because there is a, he, it, what what he mentions is is probably still valid, but but let's uh, I'll share this with the caveat that it may not be necessary in 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 most situations. But he says it looks like iPhoto Library Manager from Fat Cat Software could do this as part of the copy operation. It's not the most direct method, but it could work from the iPhoto Library Manager help. Copying original photos is the option to use. So uh, it says when you edit a photo in iPhoto, iPhoto keeps a copy of the original photo in addition to your modified version. Uh, but again, I don't think that's the case in iPhoto 9. So we've got to. Uh, I was hoping you would have the magic answer for us, but perhaps we have to wait another week for that. Mr. Brown. I was hoping to. Yes. Yeah, it's a it's a seems to be a, a bit of a mystery. So. All right. How are we doing on time? Do we have time for a cool stuff found or two? I think we do. <sighs> Awesome. It's been over an hour, but I think we have yeah. a few minutes. All right. So uh, listener Robert uh, sent us this great thing. It has nothing to do with the Mac, but uh, but a I like cool stuff found that is actually created by our listeners, because that to me is, you know, we've got this great community here. And uh, and so I always love to share. And then this thing, even aside from the fact that it's being created by one of our listeners is just freaking awesome. It's called Picture Perfect, uh, and there's a little video you can see Robert and his business partner uh, talking about this thing. But it's it's this little gadget that you hang on your wall that allows you to set um, the height. It, it allows you uh, minute adjustments in the height and uh, uh, so vertical, minute horizontal and vertical adjustments for the pictures that you hang on your wall. So that if you're trying to hang three pictures in a row you can actually make it so that they're all the same height without going through all sorts of measuring machinations that are going to drive you to drink. So, uh, so check it out. It's a, it's, it's an Indiegogo funded thing. So it's crowdfunded, but it's cheap. The, um, I signed up for an early bird three pack, which was $3 more than the regular three pack. So you'd get three of these things. And the the regular three pack was 12 bucks. I, I did the $15 one because a, I want them to hit their goal. And B, it was $3. So it seemed like an easy solution to me. So uh, so I signed up for it. But we'll put the link in the show notes. It's it's uh, it's cool stuff, but it's called Picture Perfect. Did you check out the, the link, John? I'm trying. Okay. Well, it's you don't want to watch it now because it'll be distracting because no. Robert and his friend are talking to you. But, uh, but it's good stuff. So, yeah, go check this out. And... Uh, I don't think he would mind us sharing the fact that he's the producer of Dexter over at Showtime. I don't, I don't, I don't think he makes that a secret. That's kind of his job. So, so, you know, there's that too, which is cool. Hopefully I didn't spoil the surprise there, Robert. Yeah. You know, I think if people see your name associated with this, they probably know. So I think I'm all right. Hopefully. Um, which is also very cool stuff. Anyway, uh, moving on to David's interesting little question or cool stuff found. I should say David writes, not sure if either of you uh, have checked out the new Chrome iOS app, but after your comments, I thought I'd point something out about it. Although it uses the built-in Safari web kit as all browsers on iOS must, it also synchronizes to Google servers, which means that you get access to not only recently closed tabs, but you also get access to tabs open in all of your other computers that are running Chrome. So this is something that, uh, we're going to see in, in iOS six down the road, but you can get it. If you're running Chrome on your Mac, you can get it in iOS, uh, with Chrome now, 
where it's just constantly syncing your 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 open tabs across all of your devices. And that's pretty cool. So uh, so you get a little taste of iOS six today for free with Chrome for iOS. And that's not a bad thing. Right, Mr. Braun? Absolutely. Well, that's that's good. That's good. Do we have anything else to. uh, To share here, John, before we move on. No. All right. Well, then I think it's time to bring the van, the the van in. I don't think it'd be good to bring the van in. The van with the band. Well, maybe, maybe that's true. Anytime somebody says van with a band, for some reason, I have that, that image of Jeff Spicoli in, in fast times at Ridmont high, even though they didn't, (laughs) even though there, there was no band in the van that, you know, seems like what might happen. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, let's see. We've got that out of the way. I got to make sure to scratch this stuff off on my agenda because otherwise we, uh, we wind up repeating ourselves a week down the road. It happens. We've done it before. That thing that I said, whatever it was in the most recent show that I said, we talked about this before we had talked about it before. So I got to make sure I, uh, I get that stuff right. All right. If you want to make sure you don't repeat yourself, make sure I don't what repeat yourself. Make sure I don't what? <laughs> Repeat yourself. Uh, speaking of repeating ourselves, feedback at com is the email address that you can send stuff into. Cool stuff found. Questions, tips, comments. We want to hear it all. Feedback at com. And as Dave hinted at, we may say it one more time as in feedback at com. But there's more. That's right. Well, and if you're a premium uh, contributor slash subscriber, yes, we are going through some transitions on that. But one thing that will always be a part of uh, your membership in the premium club is the ability to email us at premium at com. And those questions do get prioritized. We do we do take a look at that stuff first. So. That's a perk for you. And I said premium at MacGeekab.com. For those of you that have contributed and are part of the premium club. Dave, I'm so glad you mentioned premium at MacGeekab.com. That's right. Uh, Anyone is welcome to call us at 206-666-4335. Which, John, is? (laughs) Geek. That's right. (laughs) 206-666-GEEK. You can see the show notes that John lovingly prepares at MacGeekGab.com. That's the show notes for all the shows, the most recent one being at the top of that list. What else we got here, Mr. Braun? iTunes. You can find us in there, and if you find our podcast listing in iTunes, you could also rate it or read other comments. And we invite you, if you haven't already, to make a comment on the podcast for others to read and enjoy. That's right. We read them. Or I do. Did you stop reading them? Might not be. You know, it's like comments in the app store. I know some developers that just don't read them. Because there's no, you, there's no way to get in touch with the people. There's no way to respond. It's, you know, it's sort of a flawed system. Maybe I should tweak it so, you know, only the ones that are like either, you know, really either high or low ranking. Right. Yeah, that seems to be all we get. We have mostly mostly high ranking ones, and then and then there's the people that hate a couple of fish one. shakes. Right, hate, right, right. They have a fish shake. That's a perfect way of putting it. They rate it like one. 
There's nothing in the middle. You know, it's like, you know, 99% five stars, and then we've got the rest, the 1% of well, one stars. Because I think it mirrors our, our listener community. We either have five-star listeners or... Or they don't listen, and that's okay. <laughs> or they don't listen. Yeah, that's the beauty of podcasting. There, we... are, there are no one-star listeners. Right, we have this... Because this... they're not listening Because they're not listening, right? All of our listeners are five-star listeners. By definition, it's a self-selecting group. It's a good thing. <laughs> I like it that way. On Twitter, you can find him. He's John F. Braun. You can find the show at MacGeekGab. You can find Mac Observer, which uh, has all the headlines from TMO over at Mac Observer. You can find Pilot Pete, and you don't find him here next to me, and he's not here next to me, near as I can tell. And you can find me at Twitter.com slash Dave Hamilton. And lastly, but not leastly, you can find us on the web actually streaming when we do this show live. I'm not sure whether we're going to settle into Sunday night or Monday night, John. The, the Sunday night has the benefit of getting it like we get the opportunity to do this and then the week goes. But there are times when Sunday, like today, when Sunday night's a really hard mm-hmm. time to get off the couch. <laughs> uh. But uh, but it will either be Sunday or Monday night, and it seems like we're we're in a routine of Sunday. Although next week, I believe we are out uh, the whole week. But uh, but then we will be back once uh, once I'm back from my uh, annual trip to the lake. Blake. So we will be gone for two weeks, as it stands right now. Mm-hmm. Anything else to add before we? Uh... Facebook. Oh yeah, good call. I've heard of it. I've used it. Facebook.com slash, you guessed it, Mac Geek Gab is our Facebook community. That's right. People there, they we post what's happening. They give it a thumbs up. Uh, you can't give it a thumbs down. <laughs> I um, guess that's right. You can take your thumb up away is what you can do. And we've had people post questions there. And, yeah. Uh, sometimes even get them answered. That's right. If, if not by us, uh, someone else is part of the part of the club. That's right. All right. I did screw up. I didn't uh, mention the URL for the live stream, which is macgeekab.com slash stream. When I come back, we will have sort of new information on the premium, the path of premium. We'd like to thank BB Edit with Bare Bones, uh, Bare Bones with BB Edit. Text Expander from Smile and, of course, Gazelle on the podcast Marketplace. We'd like to thank Michael Johnston, who converts this to AAC, and the bandwidth from Cashfly. Have a great two weeks, folks. We will be back. Have fun. And most importantly, don't get caught. Made up.